Hello everyone, uh, welcome to another episode of our Not So Invisible podcast series. So this is our fourth podcast in this series on functional disorders and so far we've covered quite a lot of ground. Uh, so we've looked at uh, diagnosis, we've looked at mechanisms and today we're moving our focus to a slightly different topic but uh, nonetheless very, very crucial. Uh, so today we're going to talk about stigma. And this time we've travelled to the capital of Scotland, Edinburgh, and it's quite rainy, as expected, and we're also quite close to the hospital. So if you hear any sirens in the background, don't worry, that's just the sound of an ambulance. But we're not here to talk about that. Uh, We're here to explore the topic that touches the lives of many individuals with functional disorders, which is stigma. But before we dive into our discussion on stigma, Let us introduce ourselves and share a little bit about who we are. My name is Ola. I come from Poland. I am a researcher in the field of health psychology. And at the moment, I am a PhD uh, candidate at the Medical University in Hamburg. And in my research, I am looking into treatment pathways uh, across European healthcare systems for patients with functional disorders. Hi, and I'm Quiva. I'm from Ireland. I'm currently working in the field of neuropsychiatry and I'm also doing research. Um, My PhD is on the topic of stigma in functional neurological disorder and I'm based in the University of Edinburgh. And um, I'm the third host of this podcast. I'm I'm Hubem. I'm from Estonia. I'm a clinical psychologist and I am doing my PhD at the University of Sheffield in England. And my research focus is on stigma in clinical encounters for persistent physical symptoms of functional disorders. Do you know someone whose pain just doesn't seem to go away? Do you know someone who's tired all the time? We just don't know why. Well, we know a few too, and we want to find out why and how to make it better. This is Not So Invisible, the podcast about the truth behind functional disorders. So, what are functional disorders? What causes them and what are the best treatments out there? What's happening in the body? Why is there so much stigma attached to these conditions and how can we best tackle them? And why do you need to know more about them? We are scientists new to the field, starting a journey, exploring the subject. As we learn more and more through our research, we want to share what we're learning and share the experiences of people with these disorders. We also want to explore the evidence, find out the truth and erase misconceptions. So join us and let's make functional disorders not so invisible. So we're all early stage researchers who are really passionate about the field of functional disorders. And we all aim to look at functional disorders and the difficulties patients might face in communicating about functional disorders. And especially especially stigma is such a potent topic, isn't mm-hmm. it? And it touches upon a lot of people's lives. And just a couple of weeks ago, we had an opportunity to dedicate a whole week about stigma in mm-hmm. functional disorders. Mm-hmm. And we had a um, lovely week for training um, that we talked about stigma. And we had um, patient um, advocates there as well. We, we were able to discuss our own personal research, clinical experience, and really, really dwell into the topic. And so today we want to just um, share with you a little bit about what we discussed there 
and the the discussions and topics that came up. Yeah, so I think to um, put the whole um, topic into context, it might be helpful to talk about a real life um, clinical case, real life scenario. So let's meet Alison. Alison has fibromyalgia and irritable bowel syndrome. So Alison dreads going to the doctor. Uh, she finds that every time she goes, she has to tell the same story again and again. She has to answer the same questions again and again, describe her pain over and over, talk about how many times she goes to the toilet. These things are quite distressing to talk about. Um, and unfortunately, Alison is met with quite a rude and dismissive attitude a lot of the time. Uh, sometimes clinicians imply that she's making it up or exaggerating her symptoms. Um, or sometimes it's put down to just stress or just anxiety. So she often leaves feeling a bit helpless, feeling a bit hopeless, feeling like she hasn't gotten any answers or gotten any treatment. And sometimes her symptoms are so bad, she can't really leave the house. She has to skip work, skip seeing her friends. And her quality of life is really just quite poor. Um, this has been going on for many years. I don't think Alison is looking for any special treatment. She really just wants to be treated the same as everyone else and live a normal life. So what are people's thoughts yeah, I think we've had that Alison's experience is a typical example of what we call stigmatization. But what is it exactly that we mean when we say stigmatization? Well, you can think of it in a way that you have a health condition and people don't quite understand it. And they might therefore label you, stereotype, judge or treat you differently just because of the fact that you have that health condition. But I think it's also important to add that the problem with stigma, it's not just an issue within the inter, um, initial interaction with the person, but it's in the far-reaching consequences that can happen with a lack of proper treatment towards that individual. Because an example of the lack of proper treatment and the consequences is that it can lead to social avoidance, reduced integration in society, and also ultimately being seen and feeling as a lesser. Yeah, and I think a really important point to think about with stigma in functional disorders um, is that it does go beyond the healthcare professional interaction. Now, obviously, that one is quite troubling because healthcare professionals mm -hmm. are in a unique position to help that person and provide treatment and, and validate the condition. But it's not it's not just in that interaction. It can be in the wider domains from, mm -hmm. from friends, family, work, um, and it can be quite subtle and quite overt. Yeah, but maybe to take a step back, Huba, since you're looking into stigma in your research, maybe you could tell a little bit, us in the audience, what exactly do we mean when we think of stigma? Yeah, I think that's a really important point to um, to bring in because stigma is one of those words, right, that we all use mm. and we all kind of know what it means. And it's coming to like the everyday, you know, usage. But what we mean by stigma in research, right? It's it's a very complex phenomenon and complex ph phenomenon is difficult to research because people experience it very differently as well. Mm -hmm. It depends on the social context. But what is important to understand that it's a social process um, and that happens when a feature is labeled as socially undesirable. So, for example, in, in Alison's case, perhaps uh, she's been seeing as putting on her symptoms, you know, not as a credible patient or the symptoms are changing. So the clinicians might be like, oh, but you said this one time, you know. So it's implied that she's faking it, making it up or lying and it's socially very undesirable. 
I think <clears throat> the other thing with with stigma as well is it's it's sort of in the human condition, isn't yeah. it, to yeah. sort of separate us and them, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, we sort of other what we don't like or what we don't mm-hmm. understand. Mm-hmm. And I think um, you know, with functional disorders, there's a particular type of othering that goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's very it's more severe when it comes from a position of authority, and this is why mm-hmm. we really talk about stigma in medical interaction and co- consultations as well, because it can really have severe consequences for a person and their trajectory of their health care. Right. Um, so in Alison's case. She feels that her life is very much impacted by the lack of treatment or the attitudes um, she might face. And it has far-reaching consequences just because the stigma is so impactful for her life. Definitely. And just to add on on what you guys have been saying already, I think it's also important to point out that The unfortunate and sad truth is that there are certain health conditions like functional disorders that tend to carry more of the stigma. So this means that people with functional disorders often face unfair assumptions and attitudes, which then result in unequal treatment. And, you know, it feels like as if people with functional disorders are not getting the same level of understanding and support that others get for different health problems. But I think also apart from that, it's good to notice that and not forget that this isn't just about an individual because stigma can have also structural consequences. And this means stigma can affect how doctors are trained, how healthcare policies are developed or um, the quality of care that is available for uh, for these individuals. So if functional disorders are not seen as important, they will simply not be prioritized in terms of research funding or development of care or service pathways. And that will lead to ongoing inequalities for people affected by functional disorders. talked about um, stigma and we know it's there and people experience um, stigma. So I think it's important to really ask the question, why people stigmatize still if we know it's not really good? You know, why why does this still happen? Um, Quiva, what are your thoughts on that? Could, could you enlighten us, please? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... <clears throat> I think there's lots of factors with functional disorders that contribute to stigma and, you know, why they, they might be more stigmatized than some other medical conditions. I think a big one is probably lack of knowledge, lack of awareness and lack of education. I think people just simply, they don't know, they don't know much about it. Uh, clinicians often aren't trained at all. Um, general public aren't really aware of, of what it is. And just people just have never heard of it. So I think it's just this big unknown a lot of the time. And when I say never heard of it, they also don't know what, like, why it happens, how it happens and what the treatments are. So I, I think the lack of knowledge is a big one. I, I do think it's changing. I think knowledge is expanding. It's getting better. We're all learning more. It's becoming a little bit more important. But I think there is still a long way to go. And I think a key thing will be moving away from sort of old fashioned models of mind versus body health, um, I think will be a big one. 
Um, what do you think, Ola? Yeah, definitely. I think it's it's maybe important to expand a little bit of that old way of understanding illness because the way we used to understand illness was quite binary. And what I mean by that is that people tended to divide illness into conditions that either affected the mind, so there were the mental illnesses, or the ones that affected the body, so the physical illnesses, the physical conditions. But we now know, due to research and the, the, the knowledge that is expanding, like you mentioned, Quiva, is that the majority of illnesses involve actually interactions within our mind and the body. It's not just two separate entities. They work together. And we know that they send signals between one another. So indeed, I think it's it's really important to move away from that. I completely agree with the both of you. And I think you bring up really important topics about how it's essential to move away from this outdated idea, this model that we've all been exposed to, this body-mind dualism, uh, to understand that this is interconnected and body and mind work together to produce all symptoms that we're experiencing. And I think we are in the process of understanding that a lot better right now. Yeah, no, that is so true. And I think as well, just on that topic, I think some of the stigma in functional disorders come from the fact that people over-attribute the symptoms purely to psychological or mental health reasons. Like we've talked about Alison's case, being told it's just stress, it's just anxiety, and lots of kind of patients get told that. And and we're not saying that these factors aren't important or, or might be related or, you know, important for some patients, but they're rarely the whole picture. And um, I think with the historical kind of stigmatization of mental health conditions, um, the, the stigmatization of functional disorders has sort of become entwined or entangled with that. But but in saying that, I think that that stigma is changing a little bit, isn't it? And I think mental health conditions are are sort of better understood in terms of also being interconnected mind and body as well. Um, and so so it's it's hopeful that perhaps functional disorders might follow that path and, and also be understood in a in a sort of an interconnected way. Yeah, and to just get back to your question, Huba, about why people stigmatize, I think it's also um, good to say that people often tend to dismiss what they don't fully understand. And that also leads to stigmatization and neglect of functional disorders. And I even saw it in my interviews with healthcare practitioners across different European countries. And w what I saw is that clinicians, very often they feel at loss Um when faced with complex conditions. So they may not simply know what is happening for that patient and how to help them. And that creates sort of like a vicious cycle because the feeling of helplessness and frustration from the side of practitioners can be transferred to the patients and it can make them feel powerless, misunderstood and sadly alone with their health problems. I, I completely agree with you all here because I've noticed that both from my clinical and research experience as well that clinicians can be at loss oftentimes because it's not usually taught in the core curriculum, right, in the, in the mm -hmm. medical schools and in the school system. I think it's really important to note here as we talk about stigmatization that um, we have this core curri curriculum in, in medical schools. But besides that, we have this hidden 
curriculum that means the way the attitudes and everything is being taught from senior clinicians to younger ones and those stereotypes those labels are being picked up for example just how clinicians talk about patients like mm-hmm. who are more serious patients who do we see first you know uh, like what symptoms do we take more seriously or, or things like that. And and those are really perpetuating those stereotypes. Um, and what do we treat as a credible patient? I, I think that's a really big part of why we still hold those stigmatizing stereotypes about functional disorders or even about some mental health conditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, more, more junior students or more junior clinicians, they are... Um, in a bit of a more more vulnerable place where they're when they are exposed to those attitudes and those attitudes they might be sort of very overt you know like a very dismissive comment after a wardrobe but it also could be something like a bit more subtle like you know leaving the patient with the functional disorder to the end of the wardrobe or the end of the clinic list and you're sort of always kind of perpetuating this message aren't you that that maybe this this person with symptoms isn't really worth as maybe as much priority or as much time um and those those attitudes and, and stereotypes can be kind of quite ingrained from from a very early stage in training so um in saying that i think there there are lots of of senior clinicians who also don't do that but but it's definitely part of the problem i think you know i think um and and kind of on that line as well the language that's used around patients with functional disorders so even the terminology that was always used so medically unexplained psychogenic pseudo you know it's it's inherent in the language isn't it that these things are sort of not understood that they're made up that they're totally psychological so before someone has even met a patient what they've read about these problems mm-hmm. is is quite inherently stigmatizing so i think there's no perfect term um and the terminology will probably keep changing um but it's yeah it's i think it's definitely a driver of stigma as well for sure and you know in the language, of course, there is that aspect of terminology, but I also think that something that goes with that is the aspect of inadequate explanations as well, because it's also part of, of the language. So when I say ina- inadequate explanations, I mean, I mean by that the explanations that are given to the patients, but also the way that patients explain the conditions to the others, like, for example, their loved ones, because, you know, patients may also struggle to convey the complexity of their conditions to both clinicians and their significant others. Um, They may find it difficult to really explain as to why the symptoms are getting worse in certain situations or why do they come and go or why do they feel this way. And this also may lead to then the clinicians and the loved ones interpreting the symptoms as, or rather misinterpreting the symptoms as just psychological or even sometimes using words like that they are made up. Yeah, and I think right now when we've just explained a little bit about why uh, functional disorders can be so stigmatized and what are the different factors that make it so difficult to communicate and talk about or diagnose, and both for clinicians and for patients and for perhaps general public, uh, for our loved ones to understand what we're going through, we can come back to Alison. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So if she feels misunderstood or stigmatized, I think it is completely safe to say that there are so many structural aspects, for example, those official care pathways we touched upon, service development, 
formal training programs that all play a huge role in how we understand and treat functional disorders. This is why we do the research we do and why we want to incorporate different viewpoints because we are dealing with structural issues here that are impacting individuals from every level in a society. Yeah, so we've touched upon some of the challenges people with functional disorders face around stigma. Um, but I think it's important to think about what's going well, because I think it's very easy to become quite nihilistic and quite hopeless about things. Um, but there's loads of really positive stuff happening. And I think a lot of that is actually driven by patients. There's a lot of um, patient-led organisations out there that are doing really fantastic advocacy work, um, you know, making their voice heard, getting a lot of recognition. So I think that's really fantastic. And as well as that, there's lots of research being done, isn't there? And, and hope I know your particular topic of interest is research in the medical consultation, is that right? Yeah, exactly. And so uh, my research, my whole PhD is looking at more a granular level, what happens exactly at the medical consultation, what makes certain words, even certain ways of speaking or explanation stigmatizing. And it can be even body language, it can be all sorts of level of interactions. So it's really going into the medical consultations. And my aim is to uh, incorporate patient voices and empower patients to tell their stories. So it's really important for me to understand the pain points, what is happening happening because we know that both clinicians and patients face those frustrations, right? So what we've found up building this point is that there are certain stereotypes we have about functional disorders, about the condition, about the individuals who have those conditions, and about the behavior of those individuals who are affected by functional disorders. And there are certain types of actions that those people face in a clinical consultations that are stigmatizing. But more importantly, what this information allows us to do is create educational guidelines and materials for clinicians and students. Uh, how not to stigmatize in those consultations. So it's empowering them as well. It's creating something that they can hold on to. It's like, okay, this consultation is going a bit off track. Um, I'm going to check whether or not I've made an unfair assumption. So my aim is to rebuild this therapeutic alliance that uh, patients and clinicians have. So the patients who need help and treatment, they, they can actually get that treatment. That sounds really fantastic. Um, yeah, so our, our research here in Edinburgh, so we're looking at uh, stigma from the patient perspective from the beginning of diagnosis. So when they get their diagnosis, how it evolves over time, so we're following them up over a period of time. Um, and what we're finding is actually lots of lots of patients have really positive experiences, um, really validating experiences. Um, some people don't, um, but but there is you know, lots of good stuff out there. And what we're hoping to to do is kind of a bit similar to you, but we're hoping to use the material um, and the the data that we get to to build some sort of um, 
media media material to help combat stigma in some way so to you know challenge those negative perceptions um those misperceptions that misinformation that's out there um and to disseminate that material online and i think ola aren't you doing sort of more structure you're looking at the more structural piece Yes, I do indeed. So in my research, we are addressing more of the systemic issues within European healthcare systems. But to simplify it a little bit, what we're looking into is we're interested in patients' pathway towards treatment. So we really want to see what happens once that patient enters the healthcare system. What kind of care do they receive or what kind of care they do not receive? What is available out there for them and what isn't? What are the barriers to adequate treatment? What are the facilitators? So what is good and what is bad and how can we tackle these barriers? And, you know, in in one of the studies that I've already mentioned with the healthcare practitioners, because uh, maybe one step back, we're, we're taking a perspective of both healthcare practitioners and the patients. But I would really like to mention the healthcare practitioners here because what we notice is that healthcare practitioners across four different European countries, they really express being unhappy with the current treatment options and the care available for patients with functional disorders. And, you know, as said as well before, some of them expressed feeling helpless because They really care for their patients and they see that their patients are suffering, but at the same time, they don't have the necessary tools and and the support to provide the better care for these patients. But to turn it a little bit around, the positive and rather hopeful note from those interviews is that many of those clinicians are really eager to change. They want to understand it better. And most importantly, they're really longing for the improvement of the treatment for the patients. And um, part of also my my project in the end and part of a bigger picture of our project, the Etude project, is that we want to come out with um, European recommendations for treatment. And this will be done uh, as a joint collaboration as well, taking the different perspective. But I think I will not elaborate on it more as that's the topic of our next podcast. So there the PhD students will talk about treatment. Yeah, that's a lovely note to end on, Ola. I think that's really fantastic. So we've talked a bit about stigma, um, how it happens, maybe a bit about why it happens and what we're doing to address it. Um, And uh, like you say, uh, the next podcast will be on treatment. Um, So stay tuned and enjoy. Thank you so much for all of those lovely, lovely thoughts and this discussion. Yeah, thanks, guys. And thank you for listening. (laughs) 